Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Today, I have a special episode for you. This one comes from Red Squad, my Patreon. Every now and again, I put together bonus episodes. Frankly, it's been a while since I started Babylon 5 for the first time with my co-host Brent Allen. If you haven't checked that podcast out, I strongly recommend that you do. But I do enjoy diving into other properties and giving it the Starfleet Leadership Academy treatment looking at all this stuff, pulling out those management, those leadership lessons, and sharing them. So for this release, I'm going to share the episode I released a while ago from the series The Orville. I watched the very first episode of that one. This is a great, great series. If you haven't checked it out, it's a great homage to Star Trek. I think it's really going to resonate with a lot of people. I really, really enjoy it. So check this out. Enjoy. Let me know on the social media at SFLA Podcast on either Twitter or Mastodon or at Jeff T. Aiken over on Instagram what you think of my take on the Orville. So, with that, here we go. Welcome and thanks for joining me here. As a thank you for supporting the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I'm excited to share this episode with you. I always have fun doing these episodes. It's fun to watch other shows and see what there is to learn. And there's a lot in this one. I'm going to talk about stoicism in a leader, what's really important to the people you work with, and and even more as we watch the first episode of the first season of The Orville, Old Wounds. It's the year 2418, and Commander Ed Mercer is starting one of the worst days of his life. Coming home from a day at work, he walks in on his wife, Kelly, with some guy named Derulio in bed with her. Sheets and everything are totally blue now. And his reaction? Full-on stoicism. I'm done. And now it's 2419. Mercer meets with Admiral Halsey. There's a ship available. The USS Orville. He gets his first command and a promotion to captain. 
The ship is almost ready, just needs a helmsman and a first officer. Mercer knows who he wants on the helm. His buddy, Gordon Malloy. Holodecks. Holodecks are a thing here. There's a program I wrote where you can battle an ogre in a samurai village. It's pretty cool, right? Malloy's playing in there when Mercer recruits him. They head up to see the ship, and we see right away how this show's gonna go. What is that? Is that a beer? And you can totally tell it's future beer because it's in a metal bottle thing. They get to the ship, kind of kind of like a sleek, flat, I don't know, like fish with three loops sticking out of the back. It's unique, pretty cool design. We don't get the full-on Star Trek hero shot of the ship, you know, no 12-minute flyover, but it's cool. Ship looks good. It's a mid-size, not the flagship or anything like that. Just one of the fleet. There's an all-hands for the captain to introduce himself. Lots of platitudes to the crew. Good enough, you know, for a first hello, but nothing that's going to really inspire confidence in anybody. He holds the senior staff afterwards to meet with them. There's Alara, a Salayan, her homeworld has high gravity, so they basically have super strength and can jump super high, you know, and stuff like that. Mercer Mercer does not start off well here at all. How old are you? I mean, that's pretty awesome, right? First interaction with the new boss, and the first thing he does is question your qualifications. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. Then we meet John Lamar, the navigator. I love this guy. I mean, he is like 97% of the people whenever a new head honcho comes on board. Our last captain let us have soda on the bridge while we we're working and- Like, yeah, good to meet you, whatever. Hey, am I still gonna get to do this thing that I like to do? They play it off here as kind of funny, but, but I think this is so important to anybody stepping into a leadership position to understand. Most people aren't looking for you to wow them. They're not looking for you to be cool or to be their friend. They, they just want to be comfortable at work, and they don't want things to change too much, too quickly. Like, I'm good at what I do. Just let me do it. Let me drink my soda. Then we meet Bordas. He's the second officer and one of the more alien aliens that we see. He's Mocklin, and Mercer is eager to get to know him. You know, I've never met a single gender species before. Yeah, they're all dudes. They're all male. At least that's what we're made to believe at this point point in the series. There's going to be more on that later. He's super by the book, very humorless. He shares, Mocklin's urinate only once per year. Come on. A couple of drops. <sighs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, phrase TMI comes to mind. Well, Chief, uh, Chief Medical Officer Cassidy Yates. I mean, sorry, Claire Finn played by the amazing Penny Johnson Gerald, who was on DS9 as Cisco's eventual partner and was also really awesome on 24. She's super skilled and has specifically requested this position. This is your first command, and I think you could use my help. So you think I might screw up? He immediately gets defensive and pushes back, but she's here for it, throws it right back at him. And finally, we meet Isaac. He's a Kalon who are sentient robots, basically. And he's on the Orville as a kind of emissary between his culture and the Federation. Nope, the Planetary Union. Oh, also, the Kalon are super racist. My planet regards humans and other biological life forms as inferior. Yeah, this'll be fun. Lamar and Malloy do some bonding while Mercer gets the ship's first assignment. They're going to be delivering supplies to a science outpost on Epsilon 2. They go through the launch sequence to leave the station and head out. And it is 
pretty much beat for beat right out of just about any Star Trek pilot. Lieutenant Malloy, take us out. Take her out, Mr. Savick. And this is where we get our hero shots of the Orville, along with Lamar drinking his soda from a cup that we know is from the future because, yep, you guessed it, because it's metallic. Engage quantum drive. On their way, they get word that an executive officer will rendezvous with them en route, and Mercer is not happy. No, 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 Yeah, it's his ex-wife, Kelly Grayson. He's livid, but the Admiral says he has no choice, and he's got to make this work. And then the Admiral says, Ed, she requested it. Huh, that's pretty interesting. Well, they pick her up, and Mercer meets with her in his office. Malloy kicks off the old gossip mill. Because she's a total bitch. And they all get in on it, except except for Bordas. Perhaps we should not be talking about this. Dude, go Bordas. He's exactly right. Just put a stop to it. Well, Mercer and Grayson's meeting does not go well. He gets super petty. She tries to apologize, but he doesn't want to hear it. When they were married, she feels like he was more married to the work than he was to her. He keeps fighting back. It's not gonna, it's, it's just not going to work. So finally she gives up. She agrees to request a transfer when another XO comes available. They get to the science station, and the head scientist, Dr. Aronov, asks them to come down to the surface. He lied. They don't need any supplies, but they do need help. Mercer, Grayson, Alara, and Dr. Finn head down to meet him. Mercer is, wow, um... Super professional. And my ex-wife, Kelly Grayson. Grayson just ignores it and gets to business. Doctor, you want to tell us why you falsely diverted a starship on active duty? We need protection. Protection from what? The krill. The scientists here have made a lot of really cool stuff. They splice together a redwood seed with a tardigrade so it can grow anywhere and in anything. And they made this super cool device that super fast-forwards time within a field that it creates. Mercer and Grayson don't quite get it when they see it used on a banana to show what it can do. So, it's an anti-banana ray. It's really interesting. We need no longer fear the banana. Does it work on all fruit? What about salads? The scientists, though, have real vision for this thing. They want to use it to fast-track crops and to help provide food to colonies to help heal sicknesses and wounds. It's, it's pretty cool. But they also see the potential for it to be used as a weapon to superage entire armies or grow troops faster, you know, all kinds of bad stuff. The Krill, who are the apparent enemies of the Union, are already after it. Mercer calls up to notify Union Command when one of the scientists pulls out a gun and tells him to stop. He holds the crew and the scientists hostage as he calls to the Krill to come on down. The Krill ship arrives. We've just detected a Krill destroyer entering orbit. And sends two shuttles to the surface. Malloy says a thing that I've actually thought so many times on different Star Trek shows. Like, so all the ships run on uh, like a shift, you know? So, so you have start of shift and end of shift. But what if, what if the big baddies show up 15 minutes away from the end of your shift? There's no way we're going to be out by five today, are we? Right? I mean, that's got to be so frustrating. Well, on the planet... Alara takes out the lab tech guy, the scientist who is holding them hostage. They detach the device and try to find a way out of the facility and back to their shuttle. The Krill land in attack. Man, they look super cool. What a great alien design. They firefight their way through a bunch of Krill. Alara's strength busts them out of the facility. Oh, yeah. And then we see her do a super jump to get the device to the shuttle. The team makes it over shortly after. 
They all buckle up and head up to the Orville. Up in orbit, the Krill ship attacks the Orville. They're outmatched. Malloy wants to use the maneuverability of the ship to help them. This is something I call hugging the donkey. It's a pretty cool tactic. He just kind of circles around the ship, hugging it tight enough so they can't really be fired on. On the shuttle's trip up, a Krill comes out of hiding. He's got a gun. We have something better. What? Seatbelts. Mercer slams on the brakes and the Krill flies headfirst into the windshield. It's going to be a tight maneuver to get the shuttle doors pointed towards the team. Malloy, Malloy's doubted himself, but Bordas says, If you can hug the donkey, you can do this. I really think I'm going to like this guy. They screech into the shuttle bay. It totally works. But the Orville's engines and deflectors are severely damaged. Mercer and team get to the bridge, and the Krill hail them. It tell them to surrender the device or be destroyed. Mercer tries to distract and delay him. Sorry, right, yes, yeah, sorry, I'm a little distracted lately. I just got out of a rough marriage, and it's been a difficult time. My wife had an affair. Oh, my God. He gets tired of it real quick, fires on him again. It's apparent they can't withstand another attack, but Grayson has a plan. She works with Dr. Aronov to time the temporal field device thing and then and, and, and put together with it one of the uh, the Redwood seeds. All right, Commander, you win. They shuttle the device with the seed glued to it over to the krill. It makes it, they activate it, and... Happy Arbor Day. A giant Redwood sprouts in the middle of their ship, destroying it. They limp back to his space station. Grayson tells Mercer that she's going to request a transfer. Mercer... Mercer's changed his tune. Kelly, I'm asking you to stay. He sees they really can work well together, and he wants to continue that. She leaves and has a meeting with Admiral Halsey. You made a hell of a plea for us to give him that command. Oh, wow. Okay, okay, so he got the shit because of her. Looks like we're going to be seeing the story of Commander Kelly Grayson working to make right on what she did to start this episode off. What a blast. A super fun episode that owes its entire existence to Star Trek. And I don't I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all. I think this was was super respectful to Trek while still being true to what people expect from Seth MacFarlane. Come to Quark's fun. Come right now. Don't walk. Run. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. It's no secret, but Seth always wanted to be on and to make Star Trek. He was actually in two episodes of Enterprise. He served as an engineer under Trip Tucker. The specs say 0.5. Who do you think wrote those specs? A warp field specialist? 
Exactly. And then was transferred to the USS Columbia later on. There's even a film that he made as a student floating around out there where he recreated the TOS Enterprise and crew. Super cool. And the connections don't end there. Brandon Braga, who worked on TNG, Voyager, and Enterprise, is a co-producer of The Orville. Now, this is totally just my thinking here. But when I was watching this episode, I couldn't help but think that this, this had to have helped inspire Mike McMahon's approach to Lower Decks. Scenes like, I am so excited for you guys right now. I mean, do you just feel like so blessed? We'll take a shuttle up at 0900. Sweet. Oh, hey, Justin, you got a ladybug on you. Oh, neat. You win. On the holodeck would totally be on that show. The effects on the show are they're pretty good for network TV. I mean, they're not incredible at all, but they're, they're not offensive. But the soundtrack, the soundtrack is amazing. Super awesome. Really majestic. But more than anything, with this episode and the series, really, I appreciated how it's not, it's not just family guy in space. Like, I remember that's how, that's how Fox was advertising this. McFarlane, though, he uses his humor to make the characters a lot more relatable, a lot more, well, gosh, I hate using the word, but a lot more human. But the humor's not so over the top that it's ridiculous. And in some cases, it makes the characters' reactions a little more realistic than what we get in Star Trek sometimes. When I saw this episode for the very first time, I watched it on a plane coming back from some TV tapings in Las Vegas, and I immediately loved it. I was all about the Orville, and I still am. Command codes verified. There's a lot to dive into from this one. I'm going to talk about taking the time to process and express your emotions. I'm going to talk about what's really important to the people you work with and what happens in a truly hierarchical organization. And yeah, yeah, we're going to talk fraternization too. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Now, Stoicism is a school of philosophy from the Hellenistic period. The guy walking by was Kratos, a cynic philosopher, and Zeno became his student, eventually went on to study with a number of other of the major philosophers in Athens, and then he established his own school which became known as Stoicism because they studied meeting in the store, in the open market. Stoics uphold the virtues of wisdom, courage, temperance, and justice. It focuses on the social responsibility of, of loving your neighbor, forming virtuous relationships, and helping others. Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius are popular Stoics. Nowadays, when people say they're Stoic or that they faced a tragedy with Stoicism, they're not talking about this school of philosophy. It's like the difference between capital S Stoicism and little s Stoicism. What, what most people refer to now is the practice of being passive and unemotional. Little s, little s Stoicism. So when I describe the way Ed Mercer reacted when he saw his wife in bed with a blue Rob Lowe. I picked up a little cat knees when I was in the Orient. As Stoic? I do not mean that he's practicing a philosophy of personal ethics. Nope. I mean that he's being unemotional and not visibly reacting to what just happened. Now, I don't know a lot about emotions, but, but what I do know is that you have to process them. And this is going to look different for every situation, for every person, for every emotion. As humans, we can't, 
we just aren't capable of having an emotion and, and logging it away in some data bank. I mean, well, I guess we can really, but it doesn't, it's not going to just sit there. You're going to put it away somewhere. It's going to change. It's going to grow and it's going to turn into something that it wasn't meant to be. And eventually, eventually it's going to come out and likely not in a way that makes sense with the initial emotion. You've been put on report for coming into work hungover six times. Now, like I said, Mercer responded stoically, little less stoically, and tried to make it seem like, like everything was cool. He even tells Grayson that, that he thought he was over the whole thing, right? But it was impacting his work and probably his personal life too. He went from being the golden boy that could do no wrong to someone that got command of a ship. It's pretty much... It's pretty much a pity assignment. Now, I don't know what exactly he should have done because I'm not him. But I don't know, some ideas are go talk with a therapist. Maybe maybe he should have written a book or, or maybe he should have just screamed and cried into his pillow. But instead, he drank and he tried to make it look like everything was good. The obvious impact of this is that it derailed his career track from potentially being one of the youngest commanders of a heavy cruiser to running supplies to science colonies. But beyond that, we also see him outright fail as a leader. When he was introducing himself to the senior officers, he was inappropriate and waffled between being a leader and trying to be a buddy. He very publicly brought up his divorce to just about anybody who would listen, even people who wouldn't listen, and he even insulted the scientists he was sent to help out. He's impatient, inappropriate, and only interested in himself. Now, had he actually processed his emotions, I can only assume he would have started out closer to the leader that we see him become as the series progresses. As I'm recording this, we're waiting on the third season to air. But through the second season, he does some amazing things to support his crew. He even puts his career on the line for Grayson. But after watching this episode, I would never have guessed he'd amount to much of anything. Now, on top of mostly blowing it with his senior staff when he first meets them, he greets the entire crew with a slew of platitudes. It's apparent he wants to do good. He wants to make an impact, but he's just not equipped at this point. I want this to be an efficient ship, tightly run but also one that you're glad to be serving on. Beyond that, the reality is, to the person just, you know, showing up to work every day, they, they kind of don't care about your big new plans as a leader. You walk in, like Mercer, with this idea of how cool the new world that you're going to create is going to be, but, but really all the people are thinking is... Our last captain let us have soda on the bridge while we are working, and I just want to make sure that's still okay. If you've been listening to the Starfleet Leadership Academy for a while, you know about the place I worked where I was brought in to, quote, fix the culture, right? The prior leadership there was removed for harassment and for creating a hostile work environment, yeah? Well, when I got there, oh, I had this huge, grand vision. And to be honest, with the team there, we, we accomplished a lot of it. But that first week or so that I was there, no one could possibly have cared any less about my person-first leadership approach. They just wanted to know one thing. Would they be allowed, yes, allowed, to eat at their desks? So to put this in context, you have to understand that the people that worked there, like the environment was so hostile and so oppressive. They, they didn't have their own 
desks. They they didn't even have their own chairs. No, they had to come in at the start of their shift and hope they could get the chair and desk they wanted. Did they care about how I was going to address that? Yeah, yeah, a little. But what they really wanted was to be able to eat and drink at their desks. I mean, it seems so little, so insignificant, but it was huge. One of the team members challenged me at at every corner. It was great. And they were challenging me when I said they could eat and drink at their desks on work time. They kept asking, well, well, what about this? And well, well, what about that? And finally, I think they'd come up with the thing they knew that I'd say no to. And then that would expose me for the fraud that they knew I had to be. They asked, oh, and I remember like they got all puffed up. They asked, yeah, well, what about pizza? And I said, yeah, even pizza. And they literally started crying. I mean, it was that big of a deal. In this, I learned that my plans and visions were important, right? I mean, set us on a great path, but they were not nearly as important as the little day-to-day things that are, that are comfortable and familiar. Mercer's trying to make a good impression on his team and failing, by the way, but he's trying. And all Lamar cares about is if he'll still be able to drink soda while he's working. So yeah, come in with those dreams and visions, but focus on what is important in that exact moment to the people. Never lose sight of that. In fact, okay, in fact, I'm going to get a little political here. In the history of the United States, is the time I'm recording this, we've had 46 presidents, 48 if you listen to some conspiracy theorists, but, but some of those presidents have been, been pretty good. Some have not. But they all, every single one, came in with these visions of grandeur. I'm out of it. For a little while, everybody gets delusions of grandeur. And planned on changing the world. But to most Americans, every four to eight years, we're all, we're all just a little more bitter and a little more broke, right? I mean, they might come in with some big vision of some socioeconomic something or other, but, but most people just want to show up and be able to drink their soda. Also, as a side note, almost any person who steps up and decides to be a politician and run for office is likely incapable of affecting any real change anyway, but, but that's a whole different podcast, okay? So we'll leave that aside. I want, to make, I want to make a quick note of one of the key failures Mercer makes when meeting his senior officers. He uses the term, my. Dr. Claire Finn, you're my chief medical officer, yes? Yeah, she's not his medical officer. She's the medical officer. Anytime a leader refers to a person as belonging to them, that's a problem. And I'll tell you, I'm a lot more likely to do cool stuff for someone that refers to me as a colleague and not as something they possess. Okay, last one for this episode, and one that people have feelings about. HR calls it fraternization but I'm not HR, so I'm going to put it in more plain terms. They say, like, don't dip the pen in company ink. Do not dip your pen in the company ink. Don't date the people you work with, period. 
That simple. There's absolutely nothing good that can come from it. Most companies have rules around relationships within organizational structures, but, but really to me, it's, it's more common sense. One of the pillars of leadership that I follow and encourage others to is to always put the mission ahead of yourself. It is more important that you help your organization achieve its goals, its mission, than it is for you to look good or get that promotion or even, even just to make that sale. At the same time, when you're in a relationship with someone, you have to dedicate yourself 100% to them. And put simply, you cannot do both of those things at the same time. At some point, you're going to have to make a choice between them. And that's not fair to you. It's not fair to your partner. And it's not fair to your organization. If you end up involved with someone at work, I mean, fine, you know, whatever. That's going to happen. But follow your company's policies, first of all. But also, here's the thing. Figure out which one of you is going to look for a new job. Some companies are big enough that you might be able to transfer or work in a different department, but, but I don't think that's sustainable. What if one of you ends up in a leadership position and, and you might have some connection with that department that's going to compromise you? Just don't do it. Do not date within the place you work. Look, just don't get yourself in the situation Ed and Kelly did. There are over 7 billion people on this planet. Find one that doesn't get their W-2 from the same company. Thank you so much for supporting the Starfleet Leadership Academy. I appreciate you more than you can possibly know. I'll see you in the regular feed with another regular episode. And keep your eyes on this feed for more bonus content as well. Until I see you next time, Ex Astra Scientia! Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.